Topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is equanimity. You might certainly be aware you know, that uh, presently some major sports event is certainly going on, namely in South America, in Brazil. What might this be? Ah, there you go. So, the Soccer World Cup is going on. Now, when taking a look closer, a look at how the different teams are faring, there will be some teams, uh, soccer teams, national soccer teams, that uh, are successful. They manage to beat uh, the uh, the opposite certain uh, team, and then and certain uh, what you then see in, in the you know, the images are you know, uh, well players with. Uh, um, a very joyful face, and uh, you can tell they're really excited. But then there are also teams that are less fortunate and teams that lose. Now, when you look at certain of the images of those players, players of teams certain that lose, what do you see? Dejection. No, 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 dejection, and there you go. The, the, you know, their faces look a bit sullen and not too pleased. Not much energy is there. Now, can a team always win? Is there a guarantee for this? Not really. And uh, there will be times when even the best team might uh, find or might have to play against an, a different team that is uh, uh, stronger. And so, uh, win or loss is certain uh, part of uh, the sports arena, and it's also part of our human existence. Would you agree to this? <laughs> Now, one wonders then whether there is a more intelligent way of dealing with winning and losing. So, those who win are elated, those who lose certainly feel dejected. Now, the way a different and maybe more intelligent and definitely more intelligent way of handling this kind of situation is certain that of developing plenty of equanimity. Now, equanimity is a mental factor that certainly might be very useful for those soccer players, for any kind of sports men or women, might be a quality that is also extremely helpful in the arena of politics and for sure equanimity is a quality that we as retreatants might also want to possess. Now, the Buddha has certainly spoken of equanimity in different terms, and the Dhamma Sangani gives a list of those different terms, and so we have terms such as um, uh, you know, this, you know, the state of being there in the middle Tatra Majatata in the Pali scriptural language. This has also been uh, expressed slightly differently as the zero point between extremes, such as craving and aversion, fear and, and delight. 
Equanimity has Satya further been referred to as the neutrality of Satya, the mind, as Satya, then unshakability of Satya, the mind, and keeping balance and keeping balance here and there. So that's again Tatra Majatata. The term non-reactivity would also be very useful in our context. Now, what we shall do is explore the various aspects or some aspects related to equanimity. Different definitions of equanimity are mentioned in the text. So, for one thing, we have the definition that highlights the condition of perfect balance or equilibrium. The Visuddhimagga expresses Satna this then as follows by saying the characteristic of equanimity is conveying consciousness and mental factors evenly. Now, the function of equanimity is to prevent deficiency and excess or you know, to prevent any form of partiality. And equanimity is said you know, to be um, manifested as neutrality. So it is a state of simply looking onto what unfolds, whether an experience is pleasant or not, one is just in an objective manner observing what is happening. Now, the second definition for equanimity highlights a different aspect, namely Equipoise is a state of balance of the five controlling faculties. In the Pali scriptural language, this is referred to as Indriya Samatha Patipadana. And Satna Visnin consists of confidence in the Buddha and his teaching. So, Sadha effort in avoiding unwholesomeness and in cultivating wholesome states, kusala, then correct and sustained mindfulness, at certain all times, right concentration, samadhi, and uh, wisdom. So, when those controlling faculties are present and on top of this well-balanced, then the texts say this is tantamount to a state of equipoise. Now, As outlined in the introduction, there are events, or there will be times when we win, there will also be times when we lose. There will be times when things suddenly go the way we want them to go, and other times when that is not the case. The Buddha has suddenly spoken of eight worldly conditions 
that Satna very much characterize Satna human existence, and Satna those consist of four pairs, namely, the first one is Lapa and Alaba in the Pali scriptural language. Lava staying, standing for gain, alaba for loss. Then we have yasa, which stands for honor, fame, companionship, and ayasa, which stands satna for dishonor and satna disgrace and lack of companionship. Then we have ninda and pasamsa. Ninda is the Pali term for blame, and pasamsa is the Pali term for praise. And then there are times when we experience happiness, ease, sukha, and other times when we clearly experience suffering or misery, dukkha. Now, as human beings, we are exposed to these eight worldly conditions on many occasions. And we cannot always choose what is going to happen next. There will be many instances when things suddenly do not go according to plan. So the next definition of equanimity is in the sense of unshakableness and steadfastness of the individual in the face of those vicissitudes of life, namely the uh, loka, the eight loka dhammas. And the mind, uh, in the face of these vicissitudes, remains unperturbed. When it comes to these eight worldly conditions, even the Buddha himself was exposed to them. However, because of his outstanding development of the mind, he was able to face both agreeable as well as and disagreeable conditions of life. Now, the state of remaining unperturbed in the face of the vicissitudes of life has been expressed in a verse of Fatna the Sutta Nipata, namely verse 229. There it says, just as a firm post sunk in the earth cannot be shaken by the four winds, so from the north, from the west, from the south, and from the east, so too, I declare, is a righteous person who thoroughly perceives the noble truths. Also in the Sangha, is this precious jewel by this utterance of truth, may there be happiness. So this verse is certainly actually from the Ratanatna Sutta. The Pani for it is Yata Indakilo Patavisitosiya Chattupi Wate Asampakampio Tatu Upamam Sapurisam Wadami Yo Ariya Sachani Awecha Pasati Idampisamge Ratnapanitam Itena Sachena Swati Hotu. Now that column of Fatna Indra at the time of Fatna the Buddha was those existed in front of a town and they were signs or symbols of firmness.
Now, there are other passages from you know, the texts that uh, speak to you know, this equanimity, and a well-known one is Dhammapada, verse 81, that Satna states, as a mountain of rock is unshaken by wind, so too the wise are unperturbed by blame or praise. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita in Biwams of Fatnam Burma has proposed as an illustration for this mental state of equanimity a particular object known or particular toy known as tumbling kelly or billikin. So it's a, a toy that certain children that like to play with at times that has a rounded satna and heavy bottom part and satna then towards satna the top it's a kind of goes like a funnel now when you push it over to one side it will and then let go of it that tumbling kelly will come back to center position. When you push it over to the other side, it will still not then come back to center position. Now, when equanimity is well established in one's practice, then quite naturally, the mind will prefer to come or to remain in the center rather than going off to one to one or the other extreme. Now my own definition of equanimity is as follows, which highlights slightly different aspects, namely a condition of the presence of wholesome mental states, a balance of these accompanied by strength of mind, accompanied further by the repelling power of the mind, as well as the resilience power of the mind. So, as a whole, it's a very strong state of mind. Now, yet another definition for equanimity exists and given in the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, in the context of the jhanas. And there, the term one dwells in equanimity is defined as one watches things as they arise. Thus it is equanimity, namely on looking. One sees fairly, sees without partiali partiality is the meaning. As a possessor of the third jhana, one is said to dwell in equanimity since one possesses equanimity that is clear, abundant, and sound. Reference is to section 160 of the Visuddhi Magga. Equanimity could be described as a detached state of mind that might at times be wrongly interpreted to be a form of disinterestedness or indifference, but it's not. Rather, it is an intelligent way of being unbiased, without losing one's watchfulness or and self-possession. 
So apply to our soccer teams, even if a team at times loses an important match, well, in the presence of equanimity, that suddenly the mind will remain unperturbed, will remain unaffected, not seriously touched by this event. When a team at other times suddenly scores a big victory, well, then in the presence of equanimity, the players will be um, not overly elated or excited, but rather remain pretty balanced. Now, the Venerable Saito Pandita has coined the terms repelling power and resilience power of the mind, or for resilience power, he sometimes also proposes the term spiritual stamina. Now, when equanimity uh, arises in one's own uh, practice, Retreatants notice that pleasant or agreeable as well as unagreeable, disagreeable objects simply do not stick to the mind. And so they get easily repelled. Nothing touches the mind, nothing sticks to the mind. And an illustration for that would be, well, frying some some meat or another different type of food with a Teflon frying pan. So nothing will stick to it. Now, will this make a difference to have a mind that possesses this repelling power or that does not possess such a repelling power. Would you prefer your ordinary way of being? <laughs> well, the ordinary state of being, so lacking equanimity, something happens, disagreeable or agreeable, and you know, the event strongly touches the mind and have a, has a strong impact on the mind. But when in the presence of equanimity, the mind has that strength and suddenly then, you know, whether an experience is agreeable or disagreeable, the mind then will simply not let it or not allow it to have an impact on uh, on it, on itself. Now, the resilience power or spiritual you know, stamina is in you know, the sense that in the face of you know, the vicissitudes of you know, life, the mind retains its strength and suddenly the mind does not get affected. So it's kind of like a sapling that is about to turn into, let's say, a tree. As a sapling, it will still be rather fragile and easily affected by the vicissitudes of the climate, such as the cold, such as the heat, rain, and sudden uh, rain, and then... Um, uh, uh, absence of rain, a dry, a period, etc. Drought is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> no. Equanimity is apart from. Uh, intuitive wisdom, apart from mindfulness and a number of other wholesome mental states, a really useful state to arouse and to 
develop. In the presence of equanimity, a person will clearly suffer less when going through life. Now, it goes without suddenness saying that equanimity as tatra majatata, namely neutrality of mind or that state of being there in the middle, is a wholesome mental state. It is one of the 25 beautiful mental factors, Sobhna and Jetasika, and among those, more specifically, it is one out of those 19 universal beautiful mental factors, Sobhna Sadarana, in the Pali scriptural language. It occurs only with 59 kinds of wholesome consciousness, but clearly not together with 30 kinds of unwholesome or functional consciousness. Now, in the course of our meditation practice, equanimity comes up at certain points. Now, equanimity is a factor, a mental factor that is latent in a latent form, present in some and present and absent in others. Would that be correct to say? Latent or not absent, or present or not present in a latent form. It will be present. So. Equanimity is a mental factor, the seed of which is present in all human beings. It's just a matter of developing it. And so during the outside of a retreat, not having ever meditated before, one might not even be aware of what equanimity might be be. One might not even think of developing this quality. Even as a beginning retreatant in the practice of mindfulness, one might not be familiar with equanimity. However, in a latent form, it is present in the stream of consciousness. Now, as we have seen already, in one of the earlier Dhamma talks, namely the talk on the imperfections of insight, it is there that sudden equanimity comes to the foreground as the ninth imperfection of insight. Now, the equanimity does not arise all of a sudden. It arises only after a number of other imperfections have already arisen. And so it's based on the earlier arising of the imperfection of illumination, of keen and unerring knowledge or wisdom, then of joy, of tranquility, of happiness, of confidence or trust in determined faith, and strong effort, sustained mindfulness, and then only equanimity arises. Now, when it when equanimity comes becomes a prominent mental factor, and retreatants do clearly experience it, and do notice how earlier on, let's say towards a fly landing on the tip of the nose, there was much reactivity, and then later on equanimity sets in, and once again a fly lands on the tip of the nose, and this time around there is no major reactivity. So this first experience of equanimity is really important, namely uh, it serves as a reference point for later on. Later 
in the practice after having traversed a number of uh, the uh, insight knowledges one uh, approaches a place in the practice that is known as the knowledge of equanimity about certain formations, sankar, upika, jnana, in the Pali scriptural language, and during that uh, insight knowledge, much equanimity arises. At first, uh, you know, the equanimity is still very fragile, you know, very weak, yet uh, you know, over time, as one keeps up one's practice, it becomes stronger and stronger. Equanimity is uh, not only one of the imperfections of insight, but uh, is also a quality that Satna the Buddha himself uh, went out to uh, develop, namely as a perfection. So, upeka parami. In an earlier existence, the Buddha, as the Bodhisattva Sumedha, admonished himself, Thus, Sumedha, a pair of scales remains steady without tipping to one side or the other when poised by equal weights. Likewise, if you remain evenly balanced in mind, then when faced with happiness or suffering, you will attain the knowledge of the noble path and fruition and omniscience. Now, Based on the Patisambhita Magga, namely the path of discrimination, the Visuddhi Magga mentions a total of ten kinds of equanimity. And the reference here is to uh, this section 160 up to 162. Among those ten kinds of equanimity, we have as the first one, Chalang Upika, namely the six-factored equanimity, which in essence boils down to Tatra Majatata itself, namely neutrality of mind. Then you know, there are other forms such as Brahma, Vihar, Upika, equanimity as a divine abiding, that too in essence is neutrality of mind. Then we have Bojang Upeka, equanimity as an enlightenment factor, that too corresponds to neutrality of mind. And then different, we have Viri Upeka, which is equanimity or balance of energy. And the essence of Fatna, this is the mental factor of effort, with the special case of effort being well balanced. Then there is, as mentioned, Sankopeka, name or Jnana, namely the knowledge of equanimity. And Satna here, the essence of Satna, this is insight knowledge, so a form of wisdom. Then we have equanimity of jhana, that satna too is a form of tatra majatata, so balanced neutrality of mind. The same thing goes for parisud upeka, equanimity of purification. Different, again, is equanimity as a feeling, namely a neutral feeling. So this satna boils down to vedna upeka, and then the last one is vipassana upeka, equanimity about insight. Again, um, a form of equanimity that boils down to wisdom or equanimity as an insight that uh, is essentially an aspect of wisdom. Now, it is called Chalang Upeka because one experiences equanimity with regard 
to the objects that arise at the six sense doors. So whatever visible form comes up or uh, uh, arises, the mind remains balanced. Whatever sound occurs, the mind remains balanced. And the same thing then goes for the remaining sense doors. The Angotranikaya defines this Chalang Upeka as Satna follows or no, sorry, the Visuddhimaka defines it as a name for the equanimity in one whose cankers or corruptions or taints are destroyed. In other words, it is a form of equanimity that um, is present in an arahant. And it's actually among you know, the different you know, types of equanimity, the highest and the most profound form of equanimity. It is the mode of non-abandonment of the natural state of purity when desirable or undesirable objects of the six kinds come into focus at certain of the six sense doors. Described as follows here, a bhikkhu bhikkhuni or lay retreatant whose cankers are destroyed, so who's an arahant, is neither glad nor sad on seeing a visible object with the eye, on hearing a sound with the ears. One dwells in equanimity, mindful and clearly comprehending. Now, the third volume of the Anguja Nikaya in its section 279 contains an entire discourse that certainly is devoted to this aspect of the six-factored equanimity. The title of the discourse is Worthy of Gifts. And this shorter discourse highlights yet another interesting aspect. So, the event certainly takes place in Sawati, and certain namely in Jeta's Satna Grove, Anatta Pindika's Satna Park. The Buddha resides Satna there, and Satna then he addresses Satna the bhikkhus. The bhikkhus say, Yes, Satna, venerable sir. And then the Buddha speaks. Bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, and lay retreatants, passing, possessing six qualities, a retreatant is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of reverential salutation, an unsurpassed field of merit for the world. What six? The first one, here, having seen a form with the eye, the visible eye, a bhikkhu is neither joyful nor saddened, but dwells equanimous, mindful, and clearly comprehending. Having heard a sound with the ear, a bhikkhu is neither joyful nor saddened, but dwells equanimous, mindful, and clearly comprehending. The same thing then goes for the remaining sense doors. And then towards Satna, the end, the discourse Satna states, possessing these six qualities, retreatant is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of reverential salutation, an unsurpassed field of merit for the world. 
This is what the Blessed One said, elated those bhikkhus delighted in the Blessed One's statement. Many are those in the world who display reactive behavior towards the ups and downs of life. Few, if not very few, are those in this world who um, have developed the mind and developed equanimity, and in particular, you know, this six-factored equanimity. And because these um, beings who have developed six-factored equanimity to completion are so rare, and because you know, this quality of equanimity is so precious, that uh, is why uh, these beings are then worthy of gifts, of hospitality, of offerings, of reverential salutation. Now, if you have in a community a person who possesses a high degree of equanimity, this will make a huge difference. So there will be, such a person will be kind of like the center point who then will manage or will help to overcome difficulties and not responding in an uh, well way that might then worsen the or, or uh, yeah, worsen a situation. Now, a few other passages highlight aspects around equanimity. So, for, for instance, we have footnote one passage from the third volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 299, that's... Uh, mm, speaks of practicing equanimity towards certain formations, agreeable as well as disagreeable formations. In contrast to religious teachers at the time of the Buddha who propagated the idea or proposed certainly the idea to deal with attraction or reaction or who proposed to deal with the attraction of sense objects by avoiding them. The Buddha's approach was not that but rather to face those formations with equanimity. In the end, this certain equanimity of mind far excels the usual reactivity of the mind. Equanimity is said to be, and it actually is, a peaceful and sublime state of mind. The 152nd and last discourse of the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, contains the so-called Indriya Bhavna Sutta. And that is the discourse on the development of the faculties. And that discourse describes a rather high level of certain perfection of equanimity. 
A similar passage also appears in the Patisamida Magga, namely its second volume, section 212. So what this uh, Indriya Bhavana Sutta recommends is that one develop mastery in equanimity by training to perceive what is disagreeable as agreeable and what is agreeable as disagreeable perceiving both as disagreeable and then both as agreeable and the final in the final stage one then transcends both disagreeable and agreeable and sapna then is in a position to experience or to abide in equanimity accompanied by mindfulness and clear comprehension with regard to any experience that comes up at the sense doors now it is already quite difficult to establish equanimity, but certainly this master training in the or practicing towards mastery in equanimity is yet another level, but worth pursuing. Modern neuroscience has interesting aspects to offer when it comes to equanimity. A few years back, a book was published by the name of the Buddha Satna Brain, and one of the authors is Rick Hansen, and Satna, the other one I keep forgetting. And And so what the two authors are suggesting is by understanding the transient nature of formations time and again, one eventually becomes disenchanted with those formations. So let's return to the first example of a soccer team. If a soccer team has played together many matches and over the years has lost some matches, has won some other matches, probably after some years, and having gained much experience, these players will be more equanimous towards the outcome of a match. Whether a win or not, they'll probably give their best, and certain things cannot be changed, and then they'll be more balanced about it. The intention to remain equanimous is one way to arouse equanimity, and it's actually a way that Satna the Buddha proposed himself. Modern scientists have found that in the presence of equanimity, there is this, what they call the global workspace of consciousness. 
and that satna then corresponds to a mental sense of great spaciousness surrounded surrounding the objects of awareness modern science also explains that equanimity helps to dampen the stress response system So there's certain ways of arousing equanimity. For instance, as an enlightenment certain factor, the Buddha recommends wise attention focused towards Satna, the arising of equanimity. The commentator has certainly recommended to maintain balanced emotion toward all living things, developing balanced emotion toward inanimate certain things, avoiding those who um, are reactive and choosing friends who stay cool and inclining the mind toward balance. Now, this pretty much brings us near to near the end of today's Dhamma talk on equanimity. Allow me to conclude. May you see the benefits of equanimity and may your practice deepen more and more in this context then may equanimity arise in leaps and bounds and suddenly turn into a really strong mental factor and equipped with equanimity as well as the remaining six sudden enlightenment factors and suddenly all of those factors being well balanced may you attain at least the path of stream entry during this very retreat here at the forest refuge and this is it for now Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.